Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one is where we're going to be this morning. And so find your way over to Matthew. We're in a, um, in a, in a series uh, for a couple of weeks here as we've taken a break from the book of Mark, thinking about Christmas. And we've been talking about Christmas miracles. And uh, I, I enjoy diving into uh, some of these messages when it comes to Christmas and preaching through some of the stories. Last week, we saw the very first mention of really what would become Christmas. We looked all the way back in Genesis chapter number three, and we saw as the seed of woman was promised, Jesus Christ was one day going to come and be born. And we're thankful that God is always in control. God always has a plan. And we saw that last week. Now this week, we're going to be in Mark chapter number one, and we're going to look at a broken reputation. A broken reputation. We're going to see what the Lord has to say about that uh, as we jump into Matthew chapter number one. Look at some verses that oftentimes we just skim over that we miss. But I believe that God has something very important, very encouraging for us to see this morning. So before we get started, let's pray, ask for the Lord's help, and then we will dive into God's word together this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be able to meet, to be able to open your word. Thank you, God, for the truths that we find in the scriptures. And Lord, I thank you for the singing that's uplifted our hearts. Lord, thank you for how uh, it's, it's been a blessing to me and, and just encouraged me. I thank you for that last song. Lord, be thou my vision. And God, I, uh, what, a, what a rich history that's behind that song. And, and God, what a rich message that's there. And I pray, God, that that would be the prayer of each heart this morning. Pray, God, that you would guide us and, and lead us, Lord, into your truth as we look at your word. I ask, Lord, for each person, Lord, that's here. I know there's a lot of things going on in our life. And so, Father, I pray for a few moments to help us bring our thoughts into captivity and focus on your word so that we can hear from you and what you desire for us to hear today. God, I look forward to how you're going to work, how you're going to speak. And, Lord, I pray now, again, you just fill me with your spirit. Help me, God, to say only those words that you want me to say. And, God, may we point uh, to you in all that we say and that we do. And, God, it's in your son's precious name that we pray and we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Richard never knew who his dad was. He was born and, and uh, t- uh, never, never knew who it was. It wasn't on his birth certificate. Nobody knew, uh, uh, except for, for his mom, who Richard's dad was. He was the oldest of 12 kids, and when he was in his teens, he had to help put food on the table for his family. And so he did that a couple of different ways. One way in particular is he would go down to the pool hall, and he would play pool. And uh, he would go down there, and, and obviously as a young person, he'd kind of hustle the people that were there, right? And, and he'd look like somebody that maybe wouldn't know what they were doing. And then, of course, he'd take out the, the older guy's money. And uh, that was one way that he put food on the table. Uh, another way that he would do it is by drag racing. He'd drag race cars. And uh, they would, you know, obviously put the, the money down, and then they would drag race those cars. And, and that was another way that Richard would help supply for his family. Eventually, when, when Richard made his way a little bit older, uh, he made his way into the Air Force and he found his way out to Great Falls, Montana. He was serving there in the Air Force and while he was in the Air Force in Great Falls, Montana, he met a young lady named Alice. Eventually, he and Alice would get married and he would take her back to Indiana and it was when they were in Indiana that they had together three boys and one girl The youngest boy that they had, they would name Troy, and Troy would have a son named Kyle, and Richard was my, is my grandpa. 
Well, I'm thankful for the lineage that God has given me. I'm thankful for the reputation. I'm thankful for, for a family that, that, you know, really, he did, tried to figure, my grandpa tried to figure out just some way to try to help provide for his family. I mean, put into a position that, that really was unfortunate, a difficult situation. And yet, uh, he took the situation that he was put into, and he did his best to try to make things work, to help provide for his family. I'm thankful for my lineage. I'm thankful for my grandpa. I'm thankful for the name that he has given our family. I'm thankful for a dad and a mom that made a decision to to raise their children up in church, to teach us to love God, to serve God. I'm thankful for the name Gilstrap and and the reputation that comes with that. Now, with that being said, we moved all the way out here to Whitehall, Montana and found out there's some Gilstraps on the other end of town. Now, listen, I'm not related to them, so I don't know what their reputation is, but I know from my family's name, okay, uh, I I know that the name Gilstrap, I'm thankful for the name and the reputation that's associated with that. But the truth is, is there's probably people, maybe some in this room that, I mean, if you just be honest, I mean, you weren't born into a family that maybe you're necessarily proud of that name that, that maybe you came from. Maybe you are, and I hope most of us in the room could say that, but maybe you came from, from a difficult circumstance and you look back and, and maybe it isn't something that you can look back on and, and you're not proud of. Maybe you yourself have had to decide rather than being a victim of the circumstances to which you were born into, you had to choose to become something and make a name in spite of them. I'm sure there are probably people in this room that's had to do exactly that. We all desire to have a good name. The Bible tells us that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. We all desire to have a, have a good name, to have a good reputation. And Whether you're trying to preserve the good name that, that maybe has been passed down to you, or you're trying to establish one that would have a great reputation attached to us, we all understand how fragile that reputation can be. It doesn't take much to ruin a reputation. It doesn't take much to ruin a name. And while we understand that a reputation isn't the most important thing, a reputation is, is what people on the outside think of us, our character, which is far more important, is who we actually are. And, and we understand that, but, but a reputation is still very important. Our reputation is what people see about us, and, and, and it ought to be the desire of our life that our reputation would point others to Christ. It doesn't take much to destroy a reputation. To break a reputation. And that's one reason that the first 17 verses really of, of Matthew chapter number 1 are, are so interesting as we look at them this morning. In verse number 1, if you look there with me in Matthew chapter number 1, the Bible begins with this. It says, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. So he begins in verse number 1 by telling us that, that listen, Matthew pins for us that he is going to share about the generations, the lineage, lineage of Jesus Christ. Now we know, as we talked about last week, as we're going to talk about next week, that Jesus did not have an earthly father. We know that. We talked about that. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was born of Mary, the seed of woman. He was conceived of, she was conceived of the Holy Ghost. We know that he did not have the seed of sin in his life. 
life. That's why Jesus was the perfect man. He, he, he wasn't born of, of man. But he did come from, uh, from a priestly, a godly lineage, the seed of David, the Bible tells us, or the, the line of David, rather. Uh, but, but Joseph was his surrogate father on this earth. And so here Matthew is establishing uh, Jesus' uh, earthly king uh, uh, relationship that he should have, the, the role that she, he should have. And, and so as he's going into the lineage of Jesus, he begins walking through the lineage that led to the, the man, his earthly father, Joseph. And Matthew walks through these generations of Jesus. And what's incredible is some of the names that we find in these verses. If you've ever read through lineages in the Bible, you know that there are times that they will just mention a couple of the main names, I guess you'd say, the key names that really point to that lineage. In fact, we have that example in verse number one. We see that there. The Bible tells us again, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now we know that that Jesus was not David's son, and we know that David was not Abraham's son, okay? We know that there's some gaps there that, that were, and often times that's what we had what would happen whenever we read the lineages as they would use maybe the big names that we would recognize and, and so we, we see that Matthew begins that well that way and, and and Matthew certainly could have you know just jumped over some of the names that are maybe the ones that had an unsavory reputation the ones that would cast a negative light on the names associated with Jesus but by inspiration of God He records them for us. And I'm sure most of us, if you're like me, when you get to the lineages in the Bible, maybe you're reading through and you read through the book of Numbers and they go through and they number all the, the tribes and things. Or maybe you, you're reading through Deuteronomy and, and, or you know some of the, those first five books and you find a lot of lineages. The book of Chronicles, that goes through in Chronicles, a lot of names. And, you, know, you get to those, and, and if you're like me, let, I mean, let's just be real here, okay? If you're like me and you get to those on your Bible reading, it's like, yes, I'm covering a lot of ground today, right? Because we all know so-and-so beget so-and-so and beget so-and-so. And so and so and so and so and, and so we just flip the page, right? You know, I mean, come on, let's just be real, all right? I mean, how, how many of you actually like read all of those names? Put your hand down, brother Dustin. All right, but uh, no, uh, I mean, we we all we we all probably have been there. We've all probably done it. So and so begins. So and so and begins. So and so and begins. So and so. Okay, we know that you had children. Okay, uh, we we understand that, and, and and that's easy for us to do. And Matthew chapter number one in those first seventeen verses, it would be easy just to skim over them, and we've probably all done it. We probably got to Matthew chapter number one and, and those first 17 verses we just skimmed to because we, we want to get to verse number 18 where the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Okay, that's, that's where we want to get to. Uh, but, but listen, I believe in, and we know that God's word, every word of it is inspired by God and it's put there for a purpose. And so today, rather than simply skimming over it, we're going to take a little closer look at some of those names that are included in the lineage of Christ. Some names whose reputation we would probably avoid if we were writing our own story, our own book. And I believe we can find great encouragement from the lives that led to the birth of our Savior. The first name that we're going to look at is is unusual. It's unusual to be found in a lineage because it's a woman's name. And, and most of the time when a lineage is put forth, 
Women are not included in the lineage. It's, it's always the man that's included in the lineage. And yet in the, the, the lineage of Christ, there are four women that are mentioned. And, and that's a powerful, a, pa- a powerful study. We won't necessarily study that exactly today. But there are four women that are mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And the first of those four is found in verse number 3. Verse number 3. Look with me if you would at verse number 3. And Judas beget Pharaoh and Zerar... Zerah of Thamar. And Pharaoh begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram. Verse number 3 has a name there, the name Thamar, or as the Old Testament calls her, Tamar. Tamar. As you're reading through the book of, of Genesis, we even talked about him last week. Last week, there's there's a name that's that's super that that, that just really takes up a large book, part of the book of Genesis, and, and that name is Joseph. We talked about him last week. We shared his story and, and and what his life was. Really, if you start in Genesis chapter number 37 through chapter number 50, it's pretty much the life of Joseph, the story of Joseph, and it's a powerful story. But there's one chapter, ver, chapter number 38, the kind of when when you first look at it, it just seems out of place. You, you look at it and you're like, why is this even there? In fact, the story, I'm just going to be honest, it's, it's, it's a story that you read and you're like, ah, you know, I mean, and, and so uh, because of that, I'm going to share some of it with you today, okay? Uh, but uh, we won't get into too much detail. The Bible tells us that, that one of Joseph's brothers was a man by the name of Judah, now, it's interesting because while Joseph is a picture of Christ and we lift up Joseph and we think, man, Joseph was, was such an awesome example. Jesus didn't come from the lineage of Joseph. He came from the lineage of Judah. In Genesis chapter number 38, we find the story of, of Judah. Judah had a son, the Bible tells us, and his son's name was Ur. Uh, aren't you thankful that your parents didn't name you Ur? Okay, that, that was his name, E-R, Ur. And uh, that was his name. And, and Ur had a wife, took a wife by the name of Tamar. The Bible told us, tells us that, that Ur did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and so the Lord took his life. I mean, he ended his life. And so Tamar didn't have a husband. Now, we know according to uh, the, what the, the Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy that there was the role of the kinsman redeemer, and we won't dive all the way into that, but we understand that, that what that meant was if a husband died and his wife had not yet had a child to carry on their name, that the brother, the next brother, was to marry that wife and to have a child that would be named in the name of the first husband, okay? Aren't you thankful life is, it doesn't work like that anymore, okay? I am so grateful for that, all right? And, uh, and so, but that's, I, I know my wife is really thankful for that, and so, but that, that was the way that, that it was supposed to be, and so, so Ur dies, and, and so when he dies, the Bible tells us that, that the next in line, Onan, Onan, I'm just telling you, I mean, the names are just amazing. Onan was supposed to, was supposed to rise up and, and raise up seed in the name of his brother. But he deceptively refused, and you can go and you can read chapter number 38. It's incredible. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that the Bible actually says it. You understand that the Bible does not have a G rating, right? Okay? Uh, it just doesn't. And so you're reading chapter number 38, and, and the Bible tells us he refuses, and so God takes his life. And so Judah, knowing this, promised that when his younger son, Shelah, would grow up, that Judah would give him to Tamar. But when the day came and and 
he was old enough, the Bible tells us, that he did not give, her, give him to her. And, and so Tamar took things into her own hands. And without getting into too much detail, she pretends to be a harlot, deceives Judah, her father-in-law, and conceives a child by him. I mean, it's messed up. I'm just telling you, it's crazy. I mean, the story that's going on here. Listen, the, this story in Genesis chapter number 38 is, is not a banner story that you want to point to and say, hey, listen, this is my family, okay? That's not at all the way that this would work. That's not something that, that any one of us would want to look back and say, oh, yeah, by the way, my, my mom or my, my grandma, she married her father-in-law. No, we would not want that, okay? We wouldn't want anything to do with that. We wouldn't want that in our family's name. And yet her name is found in the lineage of Christ. Tamar. Let's move on to the next name. Look at verse number five. Verse number five. The Bible says this. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. There's a name there. The, 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 the third name that's mentioned there, Rechab. Rechab. That, that we know, if you study the lineage, it was the Old Testament name Rahab. Rahab, I'm reading in the book of Joshua right now, I just read through the story of Rahab and, and how the, the children of Israel were coming to try to take over the, the city of Jericho. And we remember the story of Jericho, you know, the city that had the two massive walls and, and it was impenetrable. There's no way that you could get into it. And, and we know the story that Joshua and the men, they marched around the, the wall six days, didn't make a noise. And on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And on the seventh time, they blew their trumpets and broke their pots and screamed and the walls fell flat. I mean, just... An incredible uh, act of war, right? You know, I mean, just, just it really is an amazing story in the Scripture. But we know before that took place, Joshua sent some men to go spy out the city. And those men, they found their way into a woman's house named Rahab. And when the guards of Jericho came to find these men that had come into this house, whenever they, they tried to get into there, the Bible tells us that she hit the men and, and she deceived the people that were coming to try to take these men's lives. And, and because of that, God preserved her life. Whenever the city fell, when the walls fell, her and her family's life was spared because she chose to honor God. She chose to protect the people of God that were doing the plan of God. And, and, I mean, whenever you hear that story I mean we'd all would say well man I want somebody like Rahab in my lineage somebody that did something great like that for God that's it I mean like we would all say and then I'd sure like to have that in in my family's lineage but the problem with Rahab was not the great thing she did of, of saving the life of those men the problem with Rahab was that she had a nickname she had a nickname We've all probably been given a nickname at one point or another in our life. I've had many nicknames, some that I liked, some that I wasn't as fond of. Uh, we've probably all had nicknames at one point or another. Uh, oftentimes, nicknames are associated with maybe a physical feature or, or maybe our name or, or maybe something that we've done. It, 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 you know, that's, that's oftentimes what our nicknames uh, come from. If we went around this room, we could probably all say, okay, you know, did you have a nickname? And many of us in here could say, oh yeah, I was called this, they called me that, you know, on the sports team they were th these things at the place that I work they they call me this they call me that because I did this and and, and we would all be called given nicknames well well Rahab had a nickname and oftentimes that nickname is associated with her what was her nickname well she was known as Rahab the harlot not the profession or reputation that you want in your family line 
I mean, nobody wants to look and say, oh, yeah, oh, 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 Grandma Rahab, the harlot. You know, I mean, that nobody wants that, okay? Nobody wants that in their family, family lineage, lineage. Nobody wants to be able to point back to that and say, oh, yeah, uh, old Rahab. You know, I mean, nobody, nobody wants that in their life. And yet, she's included in the family tree of Christ. Tamar, Rahab. Let's look at another name. Verse number six. This one's a lot more familiar to us. And Jesse begat... David the king. David. Oh, well, there's a name. There's a name that we'd say, yeah, David. Yeah, that's a guy that I want on my corner. That's a guy that I want to point back to and say, man, David, he was in my family tree. I mean, yeah, come on. We'd all want David. I mean, just think about David. I mean, the little shepherd boy that was anointed above all of his brothers. The, the little shepherd boy that, that went and, and, and he took and, and he killed the bear and he killed the lion to protect the sheep. And, and David, the boy that went down to the, the battlefield and the Goliath standing in front of him and cursing his God and David running out there. And I mean, this, I mean, just, I I mean, I love the story, and there David is, and he runs out there, and the Bible tells us, you know, uh, the, the, the Goliath is standing there, and, you know, I'm going to deliver your body, your, your, and, to the, and all the hosts, all, all of the Israelites to the fowl of the air, and David comes running at him, and, and I mean, like, you know, he's a teenager, his voice is probably changing, and so it's squeaking as he's running, and I mean, he comes running at him, and he's like, I come, I come, I come to you in the name of the Lord God, you know, and I mean, he's running, and he's got that sling, and I mean, and he, go, and he lets that thing fly. And you know the story. The Bible tells us that stone it sinks right into his forehead. And, and I love it because rather than, I mean, when you get hit in the forehead, you fall backwards. But the Bible tells us he fell on his face. I believe with all of my heart, David, because of his faith, he said, listen, this battle is the Lord's. And he flung that stone. It hit him in the head. And God reached down at the same time. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the Hebrew, okay? But he reached down out of the clouds and just, boom, right on the back of the head of Goliath. And Goliath flat on his face and... Oh, it's awesome. David runs over, jumps on the back of Goliath, pulls out Goliath's sword. I mean, it had to be massive. I mean, Goliath, I mean, he just pulls his head, he pulls it, walks over to Goliath's head, and he takes that sword. And I mean, I don't think he even picked it up like this. I think he just let it fall, and it just, I mean, cuts off his head. And I mean, it's just, I mean, this is the gory part. I mean, he just picks up that head like this, and you can imagine what that looked like. And, uh, you know, he's holding it up there, and the Bible tells us the army of the Philistines, they fled. They got out of there. And David's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's awesome, you know? I mean, like, the David, this mighty man of war. David, this man that the Bible says had a heart after God's own heart. I mean, David, we all want him in our life, in our lineage, right? Except for, well, one little thing. Well, two little things. I, man, if there was one chapter that you just wish you could just go back and just, just erase out of the Bible. Man, I bet David just like, man, I wished... I wish 2 Samuel 11 wasn't there. <laughs> Day came, the kings went forth to battle. David tarried still at Jerusalem, found his way up in the middle of the night on the top of that rooftop, and he looked down, and he saw a woman bathing herself. And who is that woman? And the servant that's there says, that's, he didn't say that's Bathsheba, he said, that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Right away, David's mind pictured him right in his head. I mean, he, he knew exactly who Uriah was because Uriah was one of David's mighty men. David knew Uriah. In fact, it was probably a friend of David. Who is that? Oh, that's, that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Go and get her for me. 
You can just, you'd almost see the servant pausing like, David, come on. You know. Go and, go and get her for me. We know the story. He takes her and commits adultery with her. And then she sent, he sends her home. And there's a time period that goes by. We don't know how long, but I mean, there had to have been a time period. It's not like she woke up the next day and she was like, oh, David, I was pregnant. I mean, we, we understand this. A period of time went by. It may have been, you know, weeks, maybe even a couple of months. But eventually she comes and, and word gets back to David that Bathsheba is pregnant. David's going, oh, great. I mean, like, I got I to gotta figure out a way to cover my tracks here. I mean, like, ugh. hey, bring Uriah home. Uriah is brought home, and he says, Uriah, why don't you go home to your wife and just enjoy some time with her? (laughs) Uriah says, no, no, no. How could I go home to my wife when my comrades, when the guys I'm battling with, when they're out fighting on the battlefield, I can't go home to my family? So he slept on the king's doorstep. David's like, what am I going to do? So he gets him drunk. That's what I'll do. Okay, I'm going to just totally, I'm going to ruin his, his, his I mean, he's, he's not even going to be thinking straight. That'll get him. But even a drunk, drunk Uriah had more character than David. So David's, what am I going to do? I got to cover my tracks. So he writes a letter. In that letter, it says, take Uriah, put him in the front line, and when the battle is at its hottest, pull back. He signs it, he addresses it to the leader of the army. And he needed somebody to deliver it, somebody that he could trust, somebody that he could know was not going to open it up, somebody that he knew would get it to the person it needed to go to. So what did he do? He sealed it up and he handed it to Uriah. Uriah took that note and sure enough he gave it to the leader of the army and the battle was hot and of course Uriah's at the front. He's a mighty man of valor. And all the army pulls back, and the Bible tells us that Uriah is slayed. He, he dies. And David, he takes Bathsheba in, and I mean, he looks like the hero, taking in the, the widow woman. I mean, now I'm going to take care of her. And we look at the life of David, and, and while at first we're like, yeah, I want David in my lineage, all of a sudden we start to think, oh, wait a second. He was an adulterer and a murderer. Maybe not. Maybe not the name that I want associated with mine. You Tamar, Rahab, David. There's another name in verse number six. Look what the Bible says. And Jesse begat David the king, and David begat Solomon. Solomon. Oh, the story of Solomon. The son of David, David tells him, he says, Solomon, only seek wisdom. And one day the Lord comes to, to Solomon in a dream and says, Solomon, ask anything that you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon could have asked for riches, he could have asked for power, he could have lasted for long life, the Bible says. But instead he prays and he says, Lord, give me wisdom. And the Lord says, Solomon, because you've asked for wisdom... Not only am I going to grant you wisdom, I'm going to give you the things that you could have asked for. 
I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you money. Solomon, we know the Bible tells us he, there was no one that was as wise as him. There was nobody as rich as him. There's nobody that was as powerful as him. God blessed him in such a powerful, powerful way. And, and listen, we know that Solomon would go on to build the temple for the Lord. Solomon's temple. It's not called that in the scripture, but that's what we know it as. And, and Solomon's temple was overlaid with gold in many places. I mean, it was a sight to behold. The, the stones that were used were just absolutely massive. I mean, we all would, even in present day, would stand in awe of Solomon's temple. But the problem with Solomon was 1 Kings 11, verses 1 through 4. Because while we look at Solomon, and at first it's like, yeah, I wouldn't want Solomon in my lineage, in my family tree. He's somebody that I'd want to be known by. His reputation, I mean, wow, the wisest man, the richest man. I mean, we all want a rich uncle, right? You know, come on. I mean, we all want that. We all want somebody that's, I mean, that just has all that wisdom. Yeah, I mean, come on, I want Solomon in my, my, my family tree. But First Kings chapter number 11 says, but King Solomon loved many strange women. He had a woman problem. And it was bad, okay? Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonians, the Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. This is stunning, Okay? Don't take advice from Solomon on women. Verse number three. And he had 700 wives, princes, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart David his father. Listen, we could get into a lot of things about this, okay? 700 wives, 300 concubines, okay? There's a lot of problems there, okay? Number one, you're never going to remember their birthdays, okay? It's just not going to happen. Anniversaries out the window, okay? There's just no way. And, and listen, the, the granddaddy of them all, just remember this, every one of them had a mother, okay? So we had lots of mother-in-laws, all right? So I mean, it's just, there's lots of problems here. But listen, I mean, really, 700 wives and 300 concubines, I mean, like... Solomon, what in the world? God specifically told him, do not go after these women. Do not, I mean, don't marry one of them. Don't, don't invite one of them into your life. And Solomon said, oh, you don't want me to have one? Okay, I'll have 700. Now listen, if we're pointing to somebody in our family tree, it, it isn't going to be the one that's got 700 wives that we're going, oh, look at this, this incredible example of what our family is. No, no, no. That's not the one that we're pointing at. It doesn't matter how much wisdom he may have thought that he had. We aren't pointing to that one. Solomon. Tamar, Rahab, David, Solomon. Let's look at one more. There's many more that we could look at, but one more that we'll look at. Look down at verse number 10. And Ezekiel, or as we know in the Old Testament, his name was Hezekiah. Ezekiel begat Manassas. Manassas. Ken often talks about King Manassas. Manasseh had a godly lineage in his father named Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a man who loved God. 
Listen to what the Bible says in, in 2 Kings chapter number th- uh, 18. It contains the, really the testimony of his life. Listen to what it says in verse number 3. You can see it on the screens. And he did, this is Hezekiah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images, cut down the groves, break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he claimed to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. And he prospered whithersoever he went, and rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served him not. Listen, King Hezekiah, you look at his life, and it's like, Wow! I mean, Hezekiah, a man that loved God, that that pursued God with all his heart. I mean, a man that took down and broke down the altars and the idols. And and I mean, he turned the people towards the Lord. I mean, what an incredible, incredible man Hezekiah was. But listen, if Hezekiah had one flaw, that flaw was he didn't pass that on to his son. Because his son, as we see in, in Matthew chapter number one, was a son by the name of Manasseh. And Manasseh's story is in direct contrast to his father. Total opposite. Listen to the story of Manasseh in 2 Kings chapter number 21. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Rather than pleasing God, he did that which was evil. After the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel, for he built up again the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed. And he reared up altars unto Baal, false gods. He made groves, as did Ahab, king of Israel. Ahab, the Bible tells us, was the most wicked man that ever lived. And he was following his example. And worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them means he was serving all the demons, all the quote-unquote gods. He built up altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the, host of, uh, the house of the Lord. And he made his sons pass through fire. That is child sacrifice. He offered his own child and fire sacrifice. I don't know that there's anything more wicked. He observed times and used enchantments. He dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set graven images of the grove that he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, in the house in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if they will observe and do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law of my servant Moses commanded them. But they hearken not. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. The Bible tells us that Manasseh was so wicked, so evil, that he led the children of Israel to do more wickedness, more evil, than the tribes that God had destroyed because they had done wickedness. Here, the, 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 a king of Israel 
leading these people to do exceeding wickedness in the lives of each and every person. I mean, he was a very earthly example of Romans chapter number one. They went and served other gods and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. That, that is who Manasseh was. A wicked king of Israel. And one that if we were writing our story, he definitely would be one that we'd skip over. It'd be like having like Hitler in your family tree. Nobody wants to say, oh yeah, I was a, yeah, that was my great grandpa. No, 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 nobody wants that. Nobody would have wanted Manasseh in their family lineage. In only five names, we find multiple cases of adultery, harlotry, murder, and flat out rebellion to God and worship of false gods. Why would anyone include these names in the lineage of the one who was to be the Savior? It's good, Ken, for all of sin. To understand, it's good to go back and remember who it is that's writing this account for us. Matthew. He was a disciple of Jesus. But before he was a disciple, he was a tax collector. Now listen, I know the IRS gets a bad rep and a bad name, but the tax collectors in Jesus' time is a whole nother level. It was their responsibility to go to the people in Rome, and on behalf of the Roman government, they would collect tax. But the way that they would get paid is they would come, and if somebody owed a tax, they would add whatever they wanted on top of it, and that would be their commission. So they'd come to Ken and say, oh yeah, Ken, you owe $100 to the, to the Roman government. We've been picking on you a lot today, Ken. But yeah, you owe $100 to the Roman government. Well, why don't you, you know, let's just go ahead and make it 300 and we'll call it even. I mean, you, I'm telling you, you would hate my guts. I mean, I'm just telling you, that's the way that it would be. I mean, that was what they did. They were dirty. They were liars. I mean, they were just the people that nobody wanted to be around. I mean, they didn't have any real friends because they were just deceitful cheats. Nobody wanted to be around a tax collector. That's who Matthew was. In fact, by Jesus' own account in Mark chapter number 2, Jesus, whenever he comes to, 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 to Matthew, and he sees Matthew, he says, follow me. We find that, that, they, that Matthew sets up a meal at his house, and there they are, they're having this meal, and Matthew invites all his friends to it. And his friends are all there, and, and they're eating, and, and we know that the Pharisees and the scribes, and they come and they say, Jesus, how can you sit down and eat with publicans and sinners? And, and man, you would think Jesus would say, well, listen, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, like what Ken said. That's not what Jesus said. <laughs> In fact, Jesus looked at him, and, and, and he refers to the, the, the friends of Matthew, his crowd. He says, yeah, they're a bunch of sinners who are sick and in need of repentance, okay? That's what he says. That's what he calls the friends of Matthew. Matthew didn't come from a great crowd, and he certainly didn't have a sparkly reputation. But as he, by inspiration of God, recorded these names for us in Matthew chapter number one, maybe like, maybe like many that were before him, he was gonna skip over some names, 
But God said, oh, no, 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 Matthew, I want you to write those names in there. Matthew, don't, don't skip over Tamar. Don't miss Rahab. Put, put David in there. Don't miss Solomon. Yeah, you've got to include Manasseh. And as he's writing those names and remembering their past, and yet God put them in the lineage of Jesus Christ, I have no doubt that Matthew, maybe with tears streaming down his cheeks, as he thought about these adulterous, murdering, idol worshipers that God used to bring the Savior into the world, he looked at this lying, cheating tax collector who was being used to pen the greatest story ever to be told. It doesn't matter what your reputation is, where you've come from, what you've done. See, Jesus wanted Matthew, and he wanted to use him to pen this incredible story. And he did it so that us today could realize that no matter our reputation, who you've been, or where you've come from, he can do a miracle and use your life for his glory. For the majority of the Bible is recorded by murderers. Moses, David, Paul. He used them to communicate the story of a baby who came to earth and was born in a manger so that one day he could die on the cross for our sins. And this morning, God desires to do a miracle in your life and prove that he can take the broken pieces and the broken reputations of you and of me and turn them into a story that declares his mercy and his glory. I'll never forget the day as I was riding on a four-wheeler to go feed cows. And, and I, I, God doesn't speak in an audible voice, okay? If you've heard an audible voice, I can tell you this. It wasn't God, okay? God, God doesn't speak in an audible voice, and the reason is because we have this book, okay? He, he, he uses this book now. That's what the Bible tells us. There's no more continuing revelation, the Bible tells us. But sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. And I'll never forget that day. I'm, I'm riding on my four-wheeler. And, and I was just, I was struggling with some things. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going through it. I'm, I'm thinking about my past. And oh man, I can't believe this. And I can't believe that and this. And I remember thinking to myself, if people really knew what I had done in my past, God would never use me. And I'll never forget this. I mean, it wasn't an audible voice, but I'm telling you, inside, I mean, it might as well have been ringing in my ears. God spoke up and he said, Kyle, do you remember all those things? And I remember as I'm driving this four-wheeler to feed cows, buckets on either side, I'm right in there. And I remember thinking, yes, God, I, I know what I've done. 
I remember those things. And I'll never forget it. It was almost an audible voice. It wasn't, but it was almost. God spoke to my heart and said, Kyle, do you remember all those things that you did? I said, yes. And he said, I don't. He said, I forgave you of all of those things. And I know that God may never use my life to preach to thousands. I will probably never stand in a stadium and proclaim the gospel. But when I reach the end of my course, I I know this, there may not be many who know my name, but as long as God allows me, I want to take the broken reputation of this life and use it to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And friend, that is a miracle. And it could be that you are here today and God wants you to experience a Christmas miracle. A gift that you never imagined that you'd be able to receive. The miracle that no matter your story or your reputation or your past, God wants to use you to proclaim the good news from your life. Maybe you need to experience the promise of Hebrews chapter number 10 verse 17. This says, in their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. I have chosen not to remember them. Psalm 103 verse number 12. The Bible says, and as far as the east is from the west, so far hath you removed our transgressions from us. Friend, this morning, stop letting the wicked one control your life by believing God can't use you because of your past and your reputation. Follow this example that, that Matthew pinned through us, uh, for us through the, the inspiration of God as he gave us these examples of these people, Tamar and Rahab and David and Solomon and, and Manasseh, these people that nobody would want in their lineage. And yet Jesus Christ points to them and said, look at what God did Through these people. Look at these people with broken paths and broken lives. And through them, Jesus Christ came to this earth and He was born. Friend, experience this Christmas miracle today. And let God free you to tell His story of grace and mercy with your life. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. If the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart, I hope that He did. I hope today that you'll respond to Him. This morning, maybe the Lord spoke to your heart and and He pointed to you and and you just looked at your life and you think, man, I'm broken. God, you could never use me. And yet today, God pointed to some people that gave you a renewed hope that, listen, God's not done with you. In fact, God wants to do great things with your life. Oh, listen, friend, I hope that you'll just come to him. You'll find a Savior with open arms ready to receive you and take your life and use it for his glory. Maybe you're here today and you've never even accepted Christ as your Savior and you think to yourself, how could God forgive me for my sins? You come to me and you say, Kyle, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea. And listen, you may share your story with me and my jaw may drop in awe because I can't believe it. But there's one who's not surprised. And that one is Jesus. God, He knows all that you've done, and yet He still died on the cross to pay for your sins. And this morning, if you've never accepted Him as your Savior, if you've never asked Him to forgive you for your sins so that you can have eternity in heaven, oh friend, today I hope that you'll come to Him. And maybe right where you're seated, you can pray and say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I have failed. And God, I know it. But God, I know that you died on the cross for me and I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Oh friend, you pray that. You ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins, and I promise you this, He answers that prayer. The Bible tells us that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. We can have the promise of an eternity in heaven.
It doesn't matter. You can be the strongest man, the weakest woman. You can be the, 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 the oldest person in this room or the youngest. God can save your soul if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Friend, this morning, I hope that you respond to the Lord. Respond to the Lord and allow Him to do something incredible through your life. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, let's stand together. The music's going to play. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to hearts now as only you can and move in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.